This podcast is brought to you by EnergyX. Are you tired of paying huge rates to the big cloud providers? Are you worried about being booted off a cloud platform if your company doesn't meet their ever-shifting standards? Ready to step up your data security and disaster recovery game? Well, ladies and gentlemen, your new cloud is ready. Introducing xCloud, the scalable, resilient computing cloud that is also actually affordable. It's high-performance compute for half the cost. HPC for HTC. xCloud from Red Team is opening a beta program for new cloud computing customers, and that means you, my friend. The xCloud is powered by the XMDC Immersion Cooled Modular Data Center from EnergyX. I've seen this data center in operation, and it is a total game changer. So if you want more information about the beta launch, go to the URL in the description. Type in promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, for 50% off of your first instance. And so the URL is going to be digitalwildcutters.com forward slash energy. X. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. Let's get started. This is actually my first episode I've recorded in a while. Jake's been putting the team on his back, so we got a good one here today, though. First time we've done one together yeah. in a minute. For a long time. But this should feel special. It, at least Me and Jake haven't been months. recording together because we're just busy right now, right. so we've been swapping out, but this one's important because we got Ryan Rice on the show today. Ryan Rice. Uh, you know, I can't mention any of the the rude comments from the, uh, the <laughs> roast, can. but I mean, <laughs> you're getting roasted for being the younger brother, the younger sibling of the uh, Rice brothers. But you know, you've been a longtime supporter of ours, one of our early investors in digital wildcatters, longtime friend. Uh, done some pretty incredible things in the oil and gas industry. Today, you're working on ResNet, so we're going to talk about ResNet. I'm glad that you're you know, coming out of the closet and talking about ResNet. He took, and took oh, forever. We're going to do with the jokes still, but the roast coming out of the closet. Okay. <laughs> I love that. It's uh, just continuation love, of the roast. I love that yeah. Ryan, at the end of that, he's like, I got to go you know, get a massive amount of therapy from all the yeah. all the trauma that was caused here tonight. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't mean to bring up, oh, you know. But no, so dude, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, let's start. Actually, let's start with ResNet real quick. Just that kind yeah. of high for. 40,000 foot view of what ResNet is, and then we'll dive into kind of the journey to get yeah, there. Yeah, so uh, a 40,000 foot view of ResNet, we're a software and services startup. Um, on the software side of the business, we're intimately focused on production operations, getting the right person to the right job at the right time safely. Um, we refer to that as our well tender, field service management and field dispatching solution. Um, and our mission is to unite the field and offer. Right. So really focused on culturally that blue collar, white collar problem, doing a few different things out of the box with respect to gamifying operations. Some things that we had seen um, early on at Rice Energy, something that I'm very passionate about as far as production operations go. And then on the services side of the business, uh, very, very bespoke, nerdy technical stuff um, centered around reservoir engineering. Um, so we do what we call intelligent flow control which are flowing well interference tests. So we play musical instruments with the wells um, to be able to understand well communication, how much are these wells talking in the subsurface that mm -hmm. influences our well spacing, our asset development program. And so we'll help operators conduct these advanced well testing campaigns. 
Um, yeah. So is that more kind of like a consulting based yes. service based model with that part of the, yep. the company? Okay. And like any bootstrap startup, we, you know, something that we're very skilled at, something that we're really good at. So we can help kind of subsidize our burn with respect to cash flow is cash flow. Actually, yeah. we'll talk about let's talk about it right now because um, you know, there's been a pretty big shakeup in tech in VC. And I can tell you from raising capital for digital wildcatters, you know, part of our revenue is not subscription-based revenue and people look down on that you know mm -hmm. like oh well, service based i'm for me i'm like cash flow is cash flow mm -hmm. however you can make cash and now the vcs had this and tech has had this uh correction in the market now people are like oh hey any any money is good and so you know i think that this is a great way to build a business it's like hey if we can offset some of our burn by doing the things that we're good at while simultaneously building the product building relationships things yep. of this nature i mean that's the way to go. And I mean, you've self-funded this company yep. all yourself, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. So you're pretty sensitive to, uh, <laughs> you know, what the, what the burn rate well, is. The consulting yeah. side too, like and the other thing that people forget about is that a, a big reason that this was part of kind of the model and software is that that gives you that tight feedback loop yes. with your customer so that you can continue to develop more apps or build out your existing application. Yeah, not just the cash at flow. the end of the day, you know, I have my opinions on, with respect to what the industry might yeah. need or is lacking. But at the end of the day, we have to work with these engineers. We have to work with these companies to truly understand, you know, where are the pain points and where could we be doing better. So rather than just being in my basement coding, you know, with our developers, what I think the solution should be, um, you know, just getting ourselves out there, working, doing some consulting work and really building relationships, understanding where some of these problems truly lie. Yeah, um, let's dive or roll back a little bit and talk about your journey, um, you know, going through Rice Energy, mm -hmm. um, you know, you went to school for petroleum engineering, right? Yep, petroleum engineering. Legend yeah. has it, your dad just said, you're going to be a petroleum engineer, you're going to be yeah. a Yeah, is this how it really, like, was it, like, massively uh, planned like this? No. Okay. I mean, kind of like... <laughs> I think you know because it's, it's a great it's a great it's a great story, but I was like, how much how much truth is there? <laughs> I to think it? I think you know we pretend that that that's the truth, but in all honesty, you know, it's kind of like the roast. It was it was just brothers getting one another's backs in, in terms yeah. of figuring out our swim lane, our technical discipline, where we can kind of add value to the family. Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, there's a certain element of well, you're gonna go do this, and it does kind of clear up some of that anxiety. I know kids in college have like, what am I gonna do? And having yeah. your parents so confidently say like, this is, this is where you want to be. It kind yeah. of helps remove that, some of that anxiety, but yeah, you know, we were, we were born and raised outside of Boston, Massachusetts. So, you know, knew nothing about oil and gas industry. You yeah. know, we grew up in a place where it was demonized. Yeah. Um, but which I think is so interesting. Um, cause I actually didn't know that, um, until recently, I think it might've been the roast that I figured that out. And, um, it's really interesting to me, you know, just given, uh, Toby's position and commentary around uh, natural gas and LNG and terrible energy policies surrounding New England. And I'm like, oh, you guys are actually from there mm -hmm. too. And so that added a, a different element. Toby put to in me. that little the zinger to uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> Which I love. Asterisk yeah. notes. And, you know, by the way, our mom <laughs> lives in New England paying absurd prices for propane yeah. every year. Which is a 30 percent higher yeah. emissions, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and your dad was uh, finance, right? Was he yep. private equity? Was that uh, he was he he was working for BlackRock. He'd worked for State Street Research prior to that, much more like on the hedge fund side. Yeah, um, went over kind of managed BlackRock's mutual fund and oil and gas. But he, he one day he got the itch, 
you know, start his own oil and gas company. Then yeah. Toby down to Texas started roughnecking. Uh, eventually, the opportunity came. He moved up to uh, Pittsburgh. I actually moved in with uh, Toby at that time. So, you know, I just got out of high school and I was running uh, up in Maine. And then I, I got injured and I was no longer going to be able to run. And that was kind of my life to that point. We're, we're very obsessed. Kind of like collegiate running? I didn't, yep. Like cross country kind of stuff? Yeah. Cross country, long know, distance, um, track. Got injured. Wasn't Makes really sense. So you got the body type for I see it now. Yeah. So got injured, couldn't do it. And then really for me, it was like, I, mean, I don't know, quarter life crisis. Like, oh, I've lost my passion. You know, I don't know what I want to do. Uh, Toby just moved to Pittsburgh. And I was like, well, this is better than, you know, hanging out at my mom's house, working at the grocery store. So moved to Pittsburgh, worked out in the field, lived with Toby when I wasn't out in location, did roustabout, worked on the rig floor for a while. And this is at Rice. Yeah, this was right when Toby was like getting things off the ground. So yeah. between leasing, helping him learn what that was, it made no sense to me as a 17, 18 year old. Yeah. Um, but then eventually just working out in the field, getting, you know, my hands dirty and seeing this whole other aspect to life that I had I had no experience um growing up in Massachusetts. Yeah. Right? We just thought that the lights turned on however they did. That's actually a good I mean, that's what I talk about all the time. You know, people in oil and gas have this angst towards people that have low energy IQ, but I'm like, think about a kid that grows up in the Northeast, like in New York, they don't have any exposure to energy or oil and gas. They think electricity comes out of the wall. It's like, you can't blame them right, for not knowing. We just and didn't so, know we weren't educated. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, long story short, after two years of living in a trailer with my brother, Derek at that time, you know, drilling our X-Men walls or Hulk walls at that time, I realized really quick, I'm never gonna have a girlfriend living in a trailer in Greene County, Pennsylvania, <laughs> middle of nowhere. And so finally I was like, well, I want to be a petroleum engineer, right? I want to go to the next level. Um, my brothers made it pretty easy for me. Like you could either go to UT or A&M. I went to A&M on game day, saw 80,000 girls walking around in Daisy Dukes, <laughs> never seen Daisy Dukes before. Yeah. So I mean, pretty made, easy, the, pretty made easy a pretty easy decision for, for me. Yeah. Um, loved my time at A&M, uh, worked for Chevron. Um, while I was at A and M, did got you go a, back to Rice after that? Or yeah, I got kidnapped. From, yeah, kidnapped. From family <laughs> jokes, but but not really. You know, uh, <laughs> I took a full time job with Chevron because I, I learned what the the other side of life could look like, not working for my brothers. Yeah, uh, a little bit better work life balance to some degree. And then I'll never forget. You know, Toby calls me. I was like, when are you coming back up here? I was like, dude, we we I took a job with Chevron. Like I haven't heard from you guys. You guys have been super busy and. I got a pretty sweet gig there. And he was just like, he just hangs up the phone. And I was like, that was weird. I didn't really think about it. But like six hours later, my brothers show up in Houston. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, we're, we're, go we're going out to dinner. We're going to talk. And so we go out. My girlfriend at that time, they break up with my girlfriend at the time for me. Brian, Brian, <laughs> break you know, up for me. No, that, that's not an exaggeration. Like long distance doesn't really work. We Brian really needs to come back with us. So. Uh, I, I had, I had to uh, cancel my offer with Chevron two days later, moved up to Pittsburgh and it was like just drinking from a frack pump at that point. Yeah. So <laughs> that's so funny, man. I didn't know that. I didn't know that story. And, you know, for added context for anyone that's listening, that's not aware, um, you know, rice goes, rice energy goes on, sells to EQT a little under, was it 8 billion? Yeah. I think, yeah. Rice energy was around eight and then rice midstream partners. Okay. Uh, Three. Yeah. So, um, you know, awesome exit. Um, once, once they sold, uh, is that when you, uh, did you leave at that point? When did you, I don't know when you started ResNet. Or yeah. Like, so then, uh, three older brothers and myself, we came together. We, we, we 
founded Rice Investment Group, took some of our earnings from from Rice Energy Days and redeployed that capital back into the energy space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, companies like Combo Curve. Oh, yeah, let's talk about the Colbor. Yeah, Colbor, Combo yeah. Curve, Umbridge. Umbridge, yeah. a few upstream. Arkeo. Yep. Arkeo, that was a that was a fun maker uh, mm-hmm. in of itself. A few upstream deals. You guys so. might have the most successful well, at least oiling at least oil and gas tech fund. Um, I mean, you look at Umbridge just got acquired by Bain. Um, you know, uh, Combo Curve had a massive yeah. round uh, last year. So it's been I great mean, to see what those guys can do. Picked all the picked a lot of winners <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the space, and and it just came back to like our time at Rice. We just put our operators hat on and said like, where where is the industry heading, and and what mm-hmm. do we need? Mm-hmm. So Combo Curve was like a no brainer. Having to be the guy working in Aries and Valnav and smashing my keyboard against the computer because I can't do anything. Um, that was a no-brainer. I yeah, mean, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. We met Armand in this room for the first time like when it was just him and Jeremy in a closet years yeah. ago. It's actually this room. Uh, this is yeah. our first podcast studio over back in 2018. Really? We're back. It's it's weird fucking situation. But this was our whole yeah. office, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, Armand walks in here. And he's like, yeah, I've been following you guys. He's like, we're building something really cool. We're like, what are you building? He's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> like that verbatim. I'm like, okay, cool. What do you want? Like, what do you want to talk about? He's like, I just wanted to meet you guys. <laughs> and awesome. uh, I mean, Armand and Jeremy have become great friends ever since. You know, Armand just texted oh, yeah. us this morning to congratulate us on the race, and so it's been cool to you know see their journey. But amazing guys, yeah, amazing product, amazing product. Yeah, they've absolutely, absolutely crushed it. So y'all had rig. Yep. You're on like fun two now, huh? Yeah, we just started fun two recently this year. Um, we did fun one, and then 2020 came around, peak kind of pandemic, fully de- fully committed, fully deployed as far as our capital was concerned. And I really just had an itch to, you know, pursue my passion with respect to building software, building technology, just like what I was doing at Rice, working with operators, getting back to it. So mm-hmm. um, decided, you know, to take the plunge and. ResNet was born in 2020, you know, two months after negative oil. At that time, thinking like, hey, you know, maybe DNC might be slowing down a bit. We need to really focus on production, LOE. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was the idea then. And, you know, as you guys can relate, I mean, every yeah. day you're learning something new and the product, the vision is is always evolving. And and so it's been fun to just yeah. see you I know, mean, the baby evolve. Mm-hmm. That That's what products and companies are living, breathing things, right? I mean, yeah. and that's, actually, I think that's what's so interesting. It's like, especially, you know, just given the conversation of the winners that you picked, it's like, it's as much about picking the right founders and entrepreneurs because 100%. things are going to change so much along the way and you need to be able to pick up on those cues and yep. pivot and iterate over time. And I didn't know that you started right after, you know, negative oil. That was when we went full time. Mm-hmm. two weeks before lean in when everyone's yeah. running for the hell you know it's funny because when we decided to go full-time we talked to a couple of investors talked to some advertisers advertisers like yeah we'll advertise with you investors like yeah we'll invest and then go full-time and then two weeks later negative oil and perfect timing <laughs> yeah and it was like oh there is no money <laughs> you just like dig down and um you know i'm thankful for it now because it actually 100%. allowed us to knuckle down and, and focus on, hey, what is our thesis and what are we building? And so I'm sure you went through kind of similar thing then. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I remember I remember the first time you told me about Well Tender. Um, it was probably two years ago. Um, first time we talked about it. And so let's talk about 
you know, the let's talk about the well tender product a sure. little bit. Because if I'm not mistaken, it's named like kind of after Tinder, right? Like yeah. matchmaking. Tinder for, <laughs> Tinder for the oil field, Tinder. Swipe yeah. right, swipe one right, thing, swipe One left. thing I want to, yeah, I want to I want to touch on this is like your attention to detail and branding and design. I mean, it doesn't go unnoticed by me um, because we're really big about branding and mm-hmm. design as well. And I always appreciate like those little things. And I know that you guys have a heavy gamification effort too mm-hmm. throughout the platform, which we can talk about a little bit. But um just wanted to tell you that like I always appreciate Thanks, your brand man. your branding around things and how you bring a creative element um to the to the industry. So yeah, tell us what the what the original vision or thesis was for Welltender and where it is today and <laughs> what that product is. Yeah. Um so when when we incorporated ResNet ultimately the vision was you know something around production as a service um so there's a lot of automation you guys just had a kelvin mm-hmm. um here last week with peter mm-hmm. uh, also one of our portfolio companies it's a great conversation yeah i listened to it. it was great i loved it and um we barely talked about kelvin <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got to the end and i was like oh yeah let's talk about kelvin a little bit we just talked about like that's always the best silicon valley yeah. and all sorts yeah, of maybe stuff. we can go a little personal <laughs> yeah, yeah um but yeah, you know, we just met Kelvin. It was really opening my my eyes to all the automation opportunities with artificial lift and midstream. And um, I knew as a reservoir engineer that you know we have different SCADA systems, different connectors, and it would actually, to some degree, be a little bit difficult to scale out. So I started focusing on some of these more bespoke automation problems. And and at that time, ResNet was you know a platform on you know through Kelvin through which we could deploy some of these very bespoke automation algorithms. And then, you know, very quickly learned that um, the architecture might not be quite there yet for the industry. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a few early movers and adopters that might be a lot more mature on that standpoint, but that certainly wasn't the case for the entire industry at that Mm -hmm. point. And I started to to realize that what I was seeing as being a lot of the problems were similar problems that we had at Rice Energy coming down to simple communication, um, simple work order management, project management. Um, just data access to that data and so it's funny but you guys um and what was it 2018 2019 well hub with the crm yeah yeah, yeah. i well mean hub. yeah at, at essence but we're similar yeah. following in your footsteps there because at its heart um what i started to learn was man we really what the industry needs is truly a customer relationship management platform. that's funny because jake was on to the right idea yeah I, i'd invested in well hub and the idea was sound it was just kind of early yeah at that point and um you know but it just made so much sense like you need this the crm or yeah the first time i met toby was at the rice alliance venture day energy whatever day and i pitched him and kyle durham well and that was the first time and he brought up the evolver die video from denver he saw that like on linkedin or twitter or something you know one of the coolest things not to get off topic here but the first time I met Toby, uh, we went up to Pittsburgh to shoot that electric frack video. Oh, yeah. um, so that was like in 2020, I think it was. And we're in there and Toby's like, dude, he's like that Evolver Die video. He's like, that inspired the hell out of me. And I thought that was cool <laughs> as fuck to yeah. hear um, that, you know, some little piece of shit video I made on my cell phone while walking in downtown Denver had that that impact. But, you know, I think you guys when Ryan walked into the office before this podcast, he's like, man, it's got shillennial, shillennial vibes. Like you guys have always had that same mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, of bringing a new perspective and new technology and creative energy to oil and gas that, you know, really 
kind of the same thing that we do over here at Digital Wildcatters and, and resonates yeah. with us. And so, you know, I think that was always what was cool is like kind of having that that bond of just being people that were pushing the industry forward. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think uh, we've we in the industry have almost almost become desensitized to we'll say poor quality solutions out there. I see so many engineers, you know, where it's normal to wait 20, 30 minutes, you know, for an application to open. And then, you know, another 30 minutes to find, you know, some other file that they're looking for because it's nested somewhere deep in the archives of that file directory. And we we live that right that life at Rice Energy. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until we had adopted Salesforce and everything was immediately at our fingertips and searchable, modern yeah, cloud-based software. And we realized at that point, like, wow, we didn't know it, but we, we might as well have been like on the treadmill at like a 5% incline our mm -hmm. whole life. And it wasn't until we got off that incline where we realized like, wow, we've been, we've been doing this on hard mode <laughs> yeah. up until this point. And so now this is what easy mode somewhat feels like. Yeah. So you guys took Salesforce platform, which is traditionally, you know, kind of a CRM platform. And it's funny because Salesforce was in our office back in 2020 and like, yeah, you know, we're looking for like use cases in oil and gas. And we told them about Rice Energy and they had no clue about this. I'm like, yeah, dude, they built this massive multi-billion dollar company off and, you know, Salesforce is kind of like their, their operating system. And so tell us about, let's dive into that a little bit sure. because I've never actually talked to y'all about that and heard of like. I feel like that's an important context too for your thinking yeah, on ResNet. Yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, outside looking in, it seems like that was kind of the catalyst and precursor of like, hey, we did these things with Salesforce. I think I can build a better tailored, built for purpose, tailored solution. Yeah, honestly, Toby was driving that ball forward every single day. Um, Which Toby's a huge, anytime you go to Toby's, he's like, brings you to the computer, watch this, watch yes. this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at this new dashboard huge. I made. <laughs> it's got everything. I mean, it's, it's so impressive. Um, but it started off, with applying the CRM in a traditional sense with respect to land, right? I mean, that is, that is sales, right? And so, you know, while we were running our land game and Toby needs better visibility into, okay, where's this land at? Where's this agreement at? Um, adopted Salesforce really early on. And, and that was really the aha moment, you know, for Toby at that time with land. And then from that point forward, it was, we need to get the entire business onto this, just seeing how much more efficient the land department was running. And so we kind of worked our way backwards, mm -hmm. you know, from land all the way towards the wellhead yeah. in terms of getting the custom objects, the relationships, the flows, all of the data, yeah. you know, into one place. And it, the efficiency is just so much more profound. You know, I, I don't think we really take into account um, the pain that email, something as simple as email can present into daily operations, Yeah. right? Because yeah. I forget to include this person on the distribution list or even a better example might be a new hire, right? And how many times are we like forwarding old emails and reports and searching our emails for some of this stuff? When yeah. in reality, we look at like social media where everything's out in the open, it's extremely transparent it, and it adds a layer of accountability to that because if everyone in the world can see that someone's requested someone for information and and there's no response for days on end, everyone can see that, Yeah. right? And so it instills this, this baked in layer of accountability where we just saw efficiencies, you know, starting to soar, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you look at it like Gmail or Outlook becomes a database in itself where right. you're trying to search and query things and mm -hmm. forward it and just the amount of time that you spend going back and forth in emails is bogging down employees right. by, by. We wanna put everything along. into an Excel sheet 
And sometimes we don't even know what the schema of that table should be. So it should be a little bit unstructured, but we don't really have like, you know, good solutions for the organization to work in those things where we're actively discovering. And, and so that's where you can, you know, know SQL databases mm-hmm. and we can relate these entities together. And so at the end of the day, it's just putting the information in everyone's fingertips. Yeah. Um, so everyone's on the same page, yeah. right? We're not going through emails. Well, this is what this said. I'm going through my WhatsApp text messages. Mm-hmm. Communication's huge. Mm-hmm. And to have that communication centralized in one place, I mean, the knowledge management, I mean, it's huge for the organization. I think you said the accountability too. I think it was what's so important. You see it for the operations, but from like a management perspective, all the KPIs that everybody owns and then like rolls up to Toby's winning or not winning yet yeah. thing is like, is so impressive. And it allows you to simplify the business once you actually start measuring all of these levers and knobs and, you know, mm-hmm. gears turning. And then now we can actually simplify the world to, you know, Toby's quintessential winning dashboard where <laughs> you can see the entire company and one dashboard and where are we rocking in where we you know need some work or improvements yeah yeah Yeah. no it's um super impressive operation and you know toby's now the ceo of eqt and taking that same mindset over there to drive efficiencies and so you know coming back to resnet with the well tender uh uh product so if I remember correctly, you know, like a couple of years when you were telling me about it, it was like matching, like, you know, being able to match pumpers uh, to um, uh, jobs as well. Is that is that correct? Were you all doing that? It really depends on the operator, whether they, they run routes or they run more of a routeless model. Yeah. But whether it's matching the right field operator to the right asset or quite simply the right field operator to the right job at okay. that specific time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of efficiencies to be made there. We still see a lot of, you know, phone calls and, and text messages and, and things not executing as quite as they should or as we'd planned. Yeah. And, and so. Yeah. So if I'm a production engineer, mm-hmm. you know, say I'm a production engineer at Coterra. Okay. Um, I don't know why I call that Coterra, but it's, it's where I want to work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I get on here. You know what does my user interface look like like what do i have access to what's what am i looking at on the screen uh well so first it would probably depend on the specific flow but as a production engineer typically i'm going to be opening up my production dashboards mm-hmm. i'm going to be opening up my managed by exception surveillance right I, you know a day in the life of a production engineer for for a lot of guys is i wake up in the morning walk into a bar and i see a mount everest pile of hay and i'm just every day diving into that pile looking for needles right mm-hmm. and so if we could perhaps codify a magnet to suck those needles out um you know that was an analogy that uh, vp of production at eqt actually gave me and it's stuck with me ever since yeah, because I it's like exactly it. right and so for production engineer probably they'd want to go to their what we call our production surveillance and intelligence analytics okay. which has everything and anything related to production operations from just daily production historian to the forecasts to the downtime to the accounting database to reserves getting all that information in one place so that way the production engineer can make the best decision possible mm-hmm. right? is, is this well actually having a problem today or or perhaps our forecast was just way too overly optimistic and the well indeed does not have a problem it's just a delta from our forecast yeah. so they'll, they'll have a bunch of analytics and then that's where ultimately uh, i'm trying to provide engineers what i call a 4d experience Right. We want one place where we can connect all your data. Mm-hmm. No more context switching, no more 15 different tabs and windows open. Everything within two or three clicks from your fingertips. This goes against John's ethos in the office with his <laughs> million, million tabs. <laughs> we were 
before the podcast, uh, someone on our team, John, was uh, showing us something. And if you look at his computer, he's got literally like 30 or 40 yeah. tabs open. I'm like, that fucking drives He somehow knows where everything's at. All and he knows, yeah, 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 so yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> the system works for him. But yeah, but consolidating that all yeah, into all one the data, platform. And then the second D, um, you know, our dashboards, we want to visualize all of our data. And we want to be able to put all of that in one place. So. Mm -hmm. Not only can you know drilling and completion see how are we trending for the year, but production operations also has access to that information. And yeah. in the event that drilling or completions is impacting, you know, well, that's actually uh, um, that's an interesting point because you know I talk about what we're building with Collide. There's two huge problems in the industry. First one is knowledge transfer and retention, and the second one is recruiting. But if you talk about that knowledge transfer, I always talk about it. Like you can look at it on a micro scale within an EMP. Drilling doesn't know what production's doing. Production doesn't know what completions is doing. So there's this knowledge transfer issue within EMPs. And then if you zoom out to the entire oil and gas industry, upstream doesn't know what downstream does. Downstream doesn't know what upstream does. And then you go out to a broader view of energy. You know, geothermal has a need for a lot of expertise from oil and gas. Oil and gas is trying to see what's happening over in geothermal. But, you know, I've always seen this problem, even out in the field of, just this miscommunication and transfer of knowledge between mm -hmm. drilling completions and production. And it's just, in my opinion, it's just a issue of transparency. hundred percent. You're exactly right. Um, as far as what I've seen in the industry. And so we, you know, we get those dashboards, everyone in the business can understand, are we winning? You know, to mm -hmm. Toby's point. Um, the third D is dialogue. So like when I look at, you know, and I'm, being honest, right? When I look at a landscape of operators, I, I think a lot of operators, for the most part, you know, they're always going to be cleaning their data. That's never going to stop. But pretty good data. Understand where things are and, you know, where they go. Um, dashboards, you know, there's some great talent out on the market right now. So we see some, some great analytics coming from companies. I don't, I don't see too many organizations that have too many, you know, uh, pain points there. Mm -hmm. But where I think the world gets very, very small very quickly is where you have organizations that have good to great data, good to great dashboards infused with dialogue at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And dialogue and communication ultimately is how stuff gets done. Uh, and that's where ultimately dialogue is more disparate than anything in these organizations. Mm -hmm. People are talking in siloed email threads. People are talking in siloed Teams channels, DMs, WhatsApp out in the field, text messages. And at the end of the day, your VP of ops might just be like, what is going on today? Why were we two hours behind, you know, on the schedule over here? And he can't see and WhatsApp text messages that his guys are on it, right? Like they're doing exactly what they need to be doing, but it's due to that lack of transparency. It's an hour or two every single day wondering like, I wonder if we're actually doing what we said we were going to do. Well, now we can check because all yeah. of that dialogue is in one place. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how much that is part of the thesis for us across the entire industry is just like conversations happen in silos and it's not yes. indexed, not searchable. You have no transparency into it. And so I think you know, I've studied Jeff Bezos a lot in their memo system that they use at Amazon because as our company scales, I found that communication is a critical, critical component of running a business. And it's like, how can you keep that level of transparency and communication as you add people to your team and you scale your business and it's not a trivial thing. And so it's like, I've studied how Jeff Bezos did that at Amazon. Cause I think they've done a really good job of it. And, um, then it's like, okay, you know, from a technical perspective, like even here, you know, we use Slack, um, uh, we use, uh, email 
a little bit, mostly like external facing. Right. And then we have notion. text messages. We have Notion. We have ClickUp. And so it's like all of a sudden communication mm. can start happening in many different places. Yes. And then I'm like, hey, where did Jake send me that? You send that to me on text, email, yep. Slack. You know, even you know, someone the other day is like, hey, I just sent it to you. And I'm like, I open up Slack. It's not there. I'm like, what did you send it on? Like I texted it to you. And I'm like, it just, it's yeah, fucking so, annoying at, at minimum, right? And it goes and so, back to the the whole, like, these are like micro seconds and minutes that mm -hmm. we're just shaving off over the course of an entire day that in bulk add up to be a significant amount of time. Yeah. But they're so minor, so discreet that, you know, it's very difficult to see that concrete change unless we look at it over a long enough period. And it goes back to the analogy, right? We were walking on that treadmill at a 5% incline. We didn't even know it until we got off that treadmill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's... You don't know until until you actually know, right? And right. you're able to see it. And so, um, actually, I had a. I'm not gonna use this analogy because it's not it's not a great analogy, but <laughs> it's related to fat people and treadmills. <laughs> uh, but I was saying, I'm like, people don't know how much like better they would feel if like they actually like if you could actually put them in a zero gravity environment to it. Was like, hey, this is how you'd feel if you shed a hundred pounds, like don't your joints feel so much better when you mm -hmm. walk, but it's like, you don't know until you don't know, you know, so sorry to veer that off, but I just <laughs> had that come up. But yeah. So, you know, for you, you've got this badass, you know, production product, um, that's aimed at really being the, the central platform and connecting all of these data sources and technologies. And then got this very technical uh, reservoir engineering uh, well testing yep. product. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about that and like try to keep it fucking dumbed down for someone that's not a reservoir engineer. Yeah. Like um, so, you know, well spacing, uh, parent child wells, right? We, we drilled a, a unit four years ago and now we're coming in and infilling. Mm -hmm. Usually we've seen huge degradation to those child wells, right? There's depletion. We, some of those wells have sucked, you know, the oil out. Yeah. And then there's, you know, low pressure zone, so we don't get as good of a frack. And so those child wells um, can be quite detrimental Yeah. Um, with respect to your type curve. Um, you have communication between zones. So there's a lot of these things that are very, very difficult um, for us to analyze and for us to optimize. Um, and so it can be quite expensive when we're testing these things out. Um, and the story that I, I kind of tell around how intelligent flow control was born um, was, you know, just took Rice Energy Public, uh, Toby's on CNBC telling to the street, you know, we're gonna use these dollars to support our near-term drilling campaign in the Marcellus, being the degenerate land man that he is, takes a lot of those dollars and shoves them right into the Utica. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we kind of had bet the company on the Utica. Um, we drill our first well, the Bigfoot 9H. It comes online at 42 million a day, 200 foot flare, just burning a hole in the sky. You know, <laughs> before the SG, before, yeah. Yeah. the SG wasn't a thing. 2014, yet. okay. Um, and you know, my brothers come up to me and they're like, "Hey, Ryan, so what do you think our well spacing is going to be?" And I and I'm just like, "What?" Like there isn't a formula or an Excel thing. I can just punch these numbers in and boom, Matt out pops like, oh, you guys need to be drilling at 1200 or a thousand foot well spacing. No, like we need to use data and we need to test this out. And so I had to explain to him at that time, like unlike the Marcellus where, you know, I'm mining all of our offset peers information and I'm analyzing that so that we don't, we don't have to spend those dollars on science. We can take those lessons learned and apply them to our own asset development program. 
we didn't have that luxury in the Utica. We were first movers alongside Gulfport. There was a whopping three wells in the dry gas window. It's your dollars doing the R and D now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, we, uh, we have to, we have to test this ourselves guys. Um, and I won't get into it, but for Ohio is a little bit unique from a land unitization perspective where, you know, we, we could, we could hold by production in the majority of our lease uh, if we were to unitize the land equivalent to our well spacing. Mm. Right? So well spacing was extremely important. It, it is regardless of this problem, but with this opportunity, it, it made it even that much more important. Yeah. So we did this nine well variable spacing unit. We sink $120 million into the ground. Those wells come online. They're online for three days. And I, I think this was at the fuse last year and they come back down from their ivory tower and they're like, so well spacing, you know, what's it at? And I was just like, guys, uh, these wells are at 7,500 pounds surface pressure. And because of downstream capacity constraints, we're going to be a flat rate for like three years. I'm not going to see any rate decline, no data that's going to allow me to calculate EURs and tell you what our well spacing should be. Um, but if you give me nine months, like I can probably figure something out. Like I have to. Yeah. And my brother, Derek, he just laughed at me. He's like, nine months? <laughs> like, no. Like every day that goes by, we run the risk of drilling a suboptimal well and we are in no position you know, to be able to stomach that. You need to do your job and figure this out. And I was like, well, how much time do I have? And he's like, I, I can give you six weeks. Give us six <laughs> weeks to do, what, do whatever you do to figure it out. So the first question I asked was like, you know, I'm seeing some of this, you know, interference testing on one petro around these child pressure group study tests. Uh, I'm like, can I do a shut in? They laugh at me like, no, you can't do a shut in, you idiot. You know, every unit of gas coming out of these wells is paying for the rigs down the street. So I, I had a full blown panic attack that night. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. The, a lot of pressure riding on, you know, for my brothers. You know, what he um, needed was Collide Pro. All I needed was Collide <laughs> Pro at that time. Oh, Answer would have been in there for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, fast forward, I, I determined that, you know, hell, I, I don't have any tools in my toolbox right now. I'm just going to start throwing spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. And so I started playing with the intelligent auto chokes on loca location, playing musical instruments with them. I'm stepping one well, opening it up, allowing it to produce a little more. Meanwhile, I'm curtailing another well. That way I can keep all of my production flat. Your production's flat, but yeah. But now I'm messing with the pressure. And now let me see what pressure is doing as a function of well spacing. Mm. And so then I just, I mean, I lived at the office during these six weeks. I, the joke was <laughs> like, I wasn't showering. I was showering yeah. in, the, in the bathroom. It was bad. Yeah. But over the course of six weeks, um, you know, I had that aha moment where I was looking at thousands of data points from you know, this musical instrument test that, for me, it was very clear that a thousand foot well spacing, you know, at that current strip deck was going to be the right bet for us. And so, you know, we made that decision and it was from that journey. I learned I could use this methodology, this technology um, to apply across our entire asset development program. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, why are we waiting nine months to figure out what were the results of this completion design test? Yeah. If it can save us a million dollars a well or if it's going to bump up our EURs by 10 percent, that's a huge prize. And so. Instead of waiting nine months, we want to accelerate that down to a four to six week period. That way I can make that, I can apply make those decisions, changes yeah. on the next well, on the next well. And so our yeah. learning curve quickly accelerated as a function of this very bespoke, you know, technical reservoir work that we were doing yeah. on each and every single one of our wells. You know, um, I mean, the, the industry has burned so much capital and trying to figure out well spacing that it's imperative that you get good data and information mm -hmm. so that you can apply it to the next wells. You know, I got the name Frack Slap from this whole Frack Hit issue. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I didn't. This uh, uh, reporter for JPT, he was at some SPE event and he tweeted that 
there was a reservoir engineer up there and he said there's really a spectrum to frack hits. He said you had frack slaps, frack punches, and frack <laughs> kicks. I was like, dude, frack slaps. I fucking love that. And that became my name. <laughs> so whoever that reservoir engineer is out there, I don't I don't remember who it was, but there's someone out there that uh Yeah, some branding rights too. Uh, yeah, I've already I'm already trademarked and copyrighted, so it's already mine. And if you search <laughs> Frax Lab and Collide Pro, you're just going to find you repeatedly. So we'll never find the true source. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's super interesting, man. Um, I'm actually glad that you gave us some insight to that because I had no idea that that was kind of the genesis of how you figured out that, that service and that technology. Learn by doing so, it. So, I learn anything, right? Just yep. by doing it. And so, for you, you know, what's the what's the future look like for ResNet? You know, obviously in the last couple of years, you've really been building out the product. You're starting to take it to market now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the, what's the sentiment and the response to well tender and the production side of the platform? I mean, are you finding that these companies are um, more easily adopting stuff like this? Like, are they picking up the idea of, of what That's you're putting out there? That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I think in terms of reception, people are definitely open-minded, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when it comes down to the brass tax change management. I was yeah. going to say for like something like this, like you're so deeply rooted into their processes, right? That it's yep. just very high barrier, high friction because I mean, there's significant cost to, to you know, instilling yep. something where you're like, hey, I want to be your, your central platform, which I think, it's a it's a sucks when you're building that but it's also like the high barrier shit is like also where the opportunity it's a is challenge where the opportunity is yeah. too because high barrier means that it's hard to, to compete better with moat. and so yeah. better moat and so yeah um that's something i didn't think about until i asked that question but um it, you know it's definitely a tough dynamic but it's a think, double-edged sword but you think the companies are you know they're open-minded to new ways of of doing things yeah yeah i mean they definitely are i think consolidation is definitely kind of top of mind for everyone so i think like if you were to ask me today i think people are a little bit more cautious to adopt technology i think this comes down whether it's you know in job insecurity or where am i going to be in two years um so you know it's it feels like maybe there's like a, a press pause right now mm-hmm. on adopting new technologies to some degree mm-hmm. especially anything you know that might be a high barrier yeah and so this is where it comes back to the services right i'll try to yeah. start small right shrink the territory find a specific use case where you know, even on a consulting basis we can help you guys yeah build that relationship because this is just something that i'm very passionate about yeah um and so and valuable and so you start building a relationship there yeah and it's like the it, tiny industry, right? You yeah. Know, you're going to run into to each other, you know, for the next 20, 30 years. And so yeah. much more focused on the relationship, kind of keeping that 10, 20 year vision in mind. Yeah. Seeing where we can be helpful. And then it, it's really just an evolution um, from that point forward. Right? We don't we don't try to boil the ocean day one with getting all the users onto it. I treat it much like, you know, I learned, you know, from Toby and my brothers with respect to change management. Let's focus on one team, one department focus on these specific use cases and problems and once we have success then slowly expanding out to other departments yeah mm-hmm. um are you presenting at energy tech night next year i can you should pick a city we got a lot of them we'll let you have Ooh. we usually pick by committee but you guys tell me where and i'll be there you want to do midland i can do midland got we, mid, we got midland houston oklahoma city Denver. is there anybody left in midland or do they all get acquired at this point <laughs> <laughs> 
we were talking about this on BDE yesterday. Like Kirk's like, like he's like, he's like, what's the what's the urge? What's the rush for all these acquisitions? It's like, dude, this industry is a follow-on industry. It's like one acquisition happens and everyone's like, oh shit, we gotta make an acquisition too. A little bit, yeah. Um but yeah, no. I think we're gonna do Calgary too. It's not official, but Oh, nice. Calgary would be And Fort Worth is getting added if you didn't know that. Oh yeah, so, I can do Fort Worth. Taking that shit fucking all going everywhere. Place. And then just move to Dallas, so that wouldn't be too far. That's away. a short that's a short drive for you though. Yeah. An hour, 45 minutes. Are you, are, you in, are you in Dallas, Dallas? No, I'm like north. Basically in Oklahoma. Okay. In Frisco. Okay. Yeah. South Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, I was in Frisco like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, picking up yeah. a smoker. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for the ranch. We got a ranch up there. Oh. You should come out and shoot some guns. Oh, I would love that, man. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> my gator hunt. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I got to do that sometime. I was in Austin last week, and it's like a group of 30 people really successful tech entrepreneurs big youtubers but one of them he's this tech entrepreneur and he sold a couple of his companies and he moved south of atlanta and his new thing it's kind of a passion project it's his coding boot camp and he bought 50 acres uh 50 acre ranch south of atlanta and it's a two-week boot camp for all the people that take his course and you come out there and like you wake up in the morning you do push-ups code for a couple hours you go out you shoot guns and his whole thing that he's doing is he wants to make the most base programmers <laughs> in the world and like kind of like fight Silicon Valley tech. I was like, dude, this is fucking amazing. It's unique. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> dude, he's uh he's a very unique person. Like after he sold his company, he moved to uh South Korea to become a movie star. And he's like in these commercials and that's like, interesting. Yeah and then pivot. And then yeah, moved back to the US and now he's doing this and so <laughs> That's what we should do. That uh, post post this, go out in the ranch, <laughs> shoot guns, develop stuff. So, but no, man, uh, super interesting stuff that you've been working on. We're gonna get you at Energy Tech Night. You won Fuse last year. Um, took home the. You're gonna do that next year. Ship. Uh, Fuse. The uh, the startup competition. Oh, I don't think we're gonna do Fuse at all. Oh no. No. Damn. Yeah, you just made this awkward. You just had to break that news. <laughs> this is breaking news right now. <laughs> breaking news. Yeah, guys, I don't think we're going to do Fuse next year. Um, I mean, we can talk about it if you want, but no. Like Energy Tech Night. That's where it's at? That's where it's at, man. Just true product market fit there. So much value created there. So we're going to go in on, uh, for anything Energy Tech, we're going to put that through. Lessons Energy learned, Tech evolving. Lessons learned evolving, man. Yeah. Focus and on Clyde too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with Clyde coming out, that's where a lot of our time and attention is going towards. So, um, yeah, you don't have a chance to win Fuse again. So, sorry about that. <laughs> you're the only winner ever. So, that's pretty, you're, you're pretty much having an NFT <laughs> yeah. as your trophy. A physical <laughs> NFT, the, the trophy. Yeah. 100%. The 101. But, yeah. But, anyways, you just had a kid. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Uh, Little baby girl. She's will be six months. Already? Uh, yeah, in a week or two. Damn, that's crazy. Yep. So time flies. That that's been uh, that's been amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, adds on to the plate of building the startup too. Oh know, yeah. Um, I mean, how can how trying can to be a dad? Be and, yeah. Hard mode. <laughs> yeah. So we don't do things on easy mode around here, man. Just no. just pure hard mode. So, um, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, who are you trying to? You know, what's your ask? You know, are you trying to talk to? Uh, production engineers you want to talk to reservoir engineers i mean what's what's your ask uh my ask would probably just be like you know trying to build relationships with people specifically with production operations engineers reservoir yeah. engineers try to understand you know where do you guys have problems and where do you see the market heading in two years 
and and just being open to you know working with parties that have experience in this and that are trying to be a lending hand yeah and yeah you know, no different than kind of what we're doing now just keep an open mind yeah absolutely well i can vouch for you i think you're a pretty dope dude so <laughs> anyone that's listening you should reach out to ryan uh if nothing else just because he's a cool guy so <laughs> definitely uh one to, to hang out with and build a relationship with uh can is resnet can do you have a website up right now is it yep. public facing resnet.ai cool resnet.ai notification stuff on there cool yeah. let's talk about that real quick before we get off because i forgot yeah. about that point um the gamification that y'all built on the platform like you like you actually have dedicated people yep. on the team that yes. are thinking about the gamification sorry to kind of loop this in at the <laughs> end but i forgot about this let's talk about that real quick like what are y'all doing uh that's a great question um so so the insight actually came again from from rice energy just like all of our insights and everything that we're passionate about um the insight came uh Salesforce had recently rolled out this new badge feature. Okay. Um, and I couldn't help but notice, you know, culture is something that's extremely important, you know, not only to the brothers, but, you know, to myself as well. And um, I just noticed that there was maybe a little bit less time of Toby walking around the office, you know, making a calamity, distracting people, but high fiving them, shaking their hand, like, great job on that well man. There was a little bit less of that. And now I saw just a lot more badges being awarded on Salesforce. And, and my, my initial reaction to that was that's not a good change, mm. right? Let's not take the per the people aspect out of it, Toby. And I wanted to talk to Toby. I was like, Hey man, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but, and we got into it and he was very, very firm. Like, no, I, I think this is, I think I'm not going to stop doing this right now. I just been a little bit more focused on this, but that, that recognition, you know, on the the Facebook feed for everyone to see and to see everything that one person's got. I think I think it's gonna work. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm a little <laughs> bit bearish on it. But we had just made this acquisition of Advantage, and again, Toby's on CNBC making these promises. And uh, you know, we were gonna be able to absorb all Advantage's assets with with theoretically no new hires, right? Just totally synergistic. And I'm I'm looking at the data and I'm looking at the daily ops and I'm just doing some back of the envelope math like hey we have on average eight work orders per you know site per day and we only have 55 guys out in the field we just acquired you know another 100 <laughs> yeah. sites out of thin air i don't think this is physically possible for us to get these guys um and so i'm doing everything nerdy technical coding out better forms better flows better loading nothing's moving the needle as you would probably imagine right because my code's not going to get that wrench turn, you know, moved any faster. Yeah. Um, but what I started to notice was over the course of about 12 weeks, I saw about a 40% increase in the work order efficiency of like our top 20 field operators. Mm. And so I call up my, my main guys, Kenny G. I'm like, Kenny G, <laughs> what is going on, dude? I'm looking at these numbers. You're absolutely killing it, dude. You got to let me know what your secret. Are you juicing? Like, because we got to juice the rest of the field to get these type of results. And he just starts laughing at me. And I'm just like, Can't, why, why, why are you laughing at me? And he's just like, I, I think it's those stupid badges that, <laughs> that you and your brothers keep making every night, you know? And I was like, what? Because like right now, I was like, God. It's like, damn it, Toby. Damn right. it, Toby. He always knows. <laughs> and so I was just like, what? He's like, no, no, seriously, man. You see, I used to wake up in the morning and I'd look at this long laundry list of shit I got to do in Salesforce and I get it done, right? But, but now 
I go to Chad's profile page and I just look at the last badge that like you gave him. And it becomes my life mission to get that badge because you know, I'm always going to be better than Chad, right? Like I am better than, and I was just like, holy shit. Like this, this badge, this recognition that this guy is getting is actually delivering at the end of the day, bottom line, increase in efficiency. And so yeah. is that insight like to our culture, not necessarily gamification, but culture, how do we get people loving their jobs every day? Cause they're going to do better. Yeah. And so we knew that, you know, at Rice with focusing on our culture, but this to me was like the first insight with respect to like digital culture and how can we influence that? And so, um, I met our, our head of product experience. Her name's Erin Fair. She's um, an adjunct pr professor right now. She's dedicated her career to, to gamification, but behavioral, social psychology. How can we influence you know processes in the right way to yield better results? Mm -hmm. And so she opened my mind to there's an actual science to gamification. And I say that now, like, wow, I sound like an idiot because there's video games out there that they study this and, yeah. and Facebook and things like that. But yeah. um, she turned me on to, you know, the the classic octalysis framework that goes through the eight core drivers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in in everyday talk, we might talk about different personalities, right, different cultures and and in gamification, layman speak, that comes down to different player archetypes. Yeah. Right. And and so whether it's your personality or your player archetype and how can we figure out, you know, what drives you? Yeah. Are you more influenced by by social influence, what your peers are doing? Or are you more, in, you know, motivated by, you know, being an executioner, being someone that's actually just delivering results day over day? Um, or are you more of an explorer, right? You're, you're constantly in this data discovery mode and thinking of things and finding new things. And so it, it's focusing on actually respecting that core architectural framework and implementing that digitally in, into the platform um, in ways that I think we, we think we could replicate, but at the end of the day, um, very yeah. difficult to replicate. So, yeah, you know, turning day into like Call of Duty. So here's the challenge, you know, the daily and the weekly challenge you know, so if you have bespoke data initiatives where, you know, I need to know if there's a casing hanger on this wall because it might influence, you know, the type of workover and the type of equipment that we need for this upcoming workover. Well, I don't know if there's a casing hanger on this wall. Well, that's a problem in of itself, right? Why mm -hmm. don't we just take a picture of the wallhead? But I don't want to ask my pumper just another thing for him to do. I know he's super busy, but if we can make a daily challenge, put a bounty out for take it, take a selfie mm -hmm. behind, you know, of a, a piece of wallhead equipment and tag the equipment something very easy for these guys to do, but we're able to spread out these these data collection initiatives over the course of a few months in a very consistent manner. And so, you know, daily, weekly challenges to game modes, right? Yeah. I, I've worked out in the field. I know these guys, we, we play games. Yeah. We compete with one another. Like, hey, I bet you I can replace 20 of these pneumatic devices especially, before you do. Especially in oil and gas, it's such a pissing contest. It is. It's even like, I do this over on TikTok. When I first found it out was that drill bit video because I said, this isn't gamification, but it's more so of a pissing contest. Like I said, the jets on the drill bit were up in the cones of the drill bit. What I just meant was like they're up, up here and people are like, jets aren't in the cones of the drill bit and like <laughs> had to come like flex their knowledge and it drives the algorithm, them commenting. And I was like, oh shit, like I can say something just like a little bit off. A little bit off when people are Yeah, people it. are going to comment and, and make it go viral. And so like you start figuring out like these little, these little engagement hacks. But yeah, I mean, you see this all the time like with sales uh teams like you know there's competitiveness yeah. and humans are competitive by nature most of the time and so start building out these these gamification elements and aaron's great first time i met aaron me and uh ryan and aaron all went and played at trivia at some dive bar oh yeah in houston and uh 
actually, did, did we crush it? I felt like I we think crushed we won. It. I felt like we crushed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we definitely won. <laughs> and so she's great, but yeah, that's what I was, you know, back at the beginning of this episode, I was talking about like y'all's attention to detail and creativeness and branding and design. Like that all plays a big part of it. One of our core values as a company: creativity. Some of the right. characters like they had made for like their company. You want, oh. to, tell, you want me to tell <laughs> the story? Too, too much fun. <laughs> too <one>. much. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell it, but he had like some like anamorph looking or no, it was Avatar, like Avatar looking characters. <laughs> yeah. It said that we were uh, trying to get a superhero for for everyone in the company. And, yeah. Uh, they said Ryan's looked a little sus. The but, uh, design <laughs> artist yeah. maybe had a little too much fun with mine. Yeah. Where, Going, you know, similar jokes to the roast. Yeah. On, Brian you know, just getting roasted from my sexuality, from, my friend Eric. From all, from all you, you angles. You look at the superhero and be like, man, I don't know about yeah. you anymore. So we, we don't, That's, that never saw the, the light of day. It's always uh, these caricature artists and designers that'll, that'll roast you first. So no, that's, uh, that was, that was funny though. But man, appreciate you coming on the show. I actually learned a lot about you today, you know, considering someone that I've known for a couple of years and considered to be a good friend, I've learned uh, some details that I haven't learned. So anyways, we'll put a link to ResNet in the show notes. Uh, if you need to find Ryan, where can they find you? You're on, you're on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah. Are you on LinkedIn? I've never seen you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm not the best at the social media, man. Yeah. Which is kind of <laughs> I weird. I could probably take a few notes from you guys, honestly. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. we'll drop we'll drop a link to your Twitter and they can reach over to you on Twitter. Um so dude, appreciate you being here. This Thank is fun, you man. so much, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been a blast, man. Yep. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, share it on LinkedIn, share it on Twitter, send it on email. I don't give a damn how you share it. Just share it with someone. We'll catch you next episode. Go, 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 go.